to the late night summer catch-up with Mildly Pleased, starring Sean Lemmy, John Hodney, Colin Westman. That's right. The kids are in bed because they've got school in the morning, but we're here and we're going to talk about multimedia, (laughs) video games, music, TV shows, computer games. Computer games. This is what I think about when I think of multimedia. Legally distinct from video games are computer having to games. like click the multimedia <laughs> folder on your dad's computer. You're like, hell yeah, I'm gonna play some putt putt. Goes to space. I like that when you're a kid, your dad was like organizing everything into folders on your computer like, instead of just filling the desktop with icons. No, we must organize our multimedia. <laughs> um. So it's been. A couple months since we did our favorite stuff of the year so far podcast and we did the criterion month um and um and we've got shocktober coming up in a little bit well our, our next podcast might be the uh shocktober draft i forget if that's the podcast we do i don't think it is actually no. so i'm hyping it, up it could it be it could be exist. if you guys want to just look at all everything that site has to offer and draft it i would love to see the results of that <laughs> Let's well, think about it. This would be weird because I don't know if we'd have much rhyme or reason for why we made our picks. We'd probably just be like, oh, but that was—that's that, kind of what would be so guess. great about it. Maybe it seems like it would be kind of an interrogation of John since he picks the thirty movies. <laughs> no, it would be interesting to see because I already picked them anyways. But I would—I think I would rather see us everyone pick and then see what we end up with. Mm. So we'll see. We'll Maybe see. we'll do that. That'll be fun. Um. We're also on the cusp of all the video games I care about coming out. Um, so I will Pac-Man say... Pac-Man 2. He's back. Well, did you hear about the new Tetris game that's coming out this year, Colin? Tetris 3? It's called Tetris Effect. Oh. It looks real cool. Um, but I'll tell you about it later. This is not the time nor the place. I feel like we got a lot of time. <laughs> uh, instead, I, I want to talk about uh, one game, and I and I think John wants to talk about one game, and then we'll just move on. Because um, most of the summer I spent playing Warframe, which came out in like 2013, and Destiny 2, which does have a new expansion pack coming out. But when we're recording this, it comes out tomorrow, so I can't I can't claim that yet. So they one hook you up with an advanced copy. You're, you're like their number one fan. I, I did play it at PAX for whatever that's worth, and they added bows and arrows, and I was using that to great effect. Our team crushed the other team at PAX. In real life? Yeah, we all we were leaning on the table, and it fell forward, and we crushed four other people to death. Uh, but you didn't get arrested because they're like, no, it's just a game. Yeah. Everyone knows the deal. If you die in the game, you die in real life. There's a lot. It's not a. <laughs> it's not abide in video games. I've gotten very comfortable with this like lower talking. I don't know. If I, I know. I feel to... like this is gonna be really boring to listen to. They're like, God, these guys are. They're laying in bed while they talk to each other. <laughs> that would be a fun way to do a podcast if we all got in bed together. Um, uh, like at a sleepover and you have all those conversations where you still you still don't quite want to go to bed, so you just talk about anything. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then every once in a while, a parrot comes down to you. Do you have any idea what time it is? <laughs> <laughs> you guys, we're trying to get to sleep upstairs. I have work in the morning. <laughs> Do you have any idea what that means? And no one does, because these kids have never gotten to work. No. So the one video game I wanted to just briefly talk about is Hearthstone. They put out another new expansion pack called the Doomsday Project. Uh, In the spreadsheet here, you wrote the Boomsday Project. Oh, that's what it's actually called. Oh, um, make up your mind. Sean. Yeah. Um, it's, they, they have this character in Hearthstone called Dr. Boom, and they brought him back, and they did a whole expansion that's just about, like, um, mad scientists and explosions and chemicals that transform people into other people and killer robots, um, which is a great aesthetic. Um, and it's been, um, you know, it's just like every Hearthstone expansion. It's really revitalized my interest in it again. It's, you know, it's keeping keeping me addicted. Keep getting those fifty dollar hits every four months for me. Um, but I still really like that game, and I still wouldn't recommend it to anyone else. John, is that true about the game that you're playing? That I wouldn't recommend it to anyone else? Yeah. I would recommend it to everybody, because you can beat it in like two hours. And that game is Minute, which I played in August on Switch. I think it might have been out earlier, but that's what I played it on. And it's from Devolver, which is quickly becoming one of my favorite indie studios. And I would describe it as kind of like Zelda. It's got that overlay, overtop kind of view um it's got kind of old school almost like game boy type graphics blacks and whites and you play as this little guy that almost looks kind of like a tamagotchi uh, or like a duck or some some mix between there and it's it's basically like a zelda-esque quest game but every time you start you only have 60 seconds to accomplish something and then you get killed and you get sent back to your house and the way you progress is you find other houses or other checkpoints just to, to you know to save or whatever and you, when you pick up items, you get to keep the items. You don't lose them. So it's not like you have to have like one, one minute perfect run or something. It's just slowly piecing it together. Um, and for some reason, I find myself really drawn to these games where you die like a million times. <laughs> well, you, I think that style of game, um, for me, it hinges on the aspect you brought up of like you're able to make some progress that carries over into your next life, because um, those like pure roguelike games where you play the game until you die, and then that's it. The game is over, and you start again totally fresh. can be incredibly demoralizing. But when there's just like some hope that you can make a little bit of progress, it totally changes it for me. I also like something about being like the great leveler. Like you can't, you have to die. Well, dying is part of the game. Like you have to die over and over again. So it's not like there's someone online. I mean, I'm sure there is someone you can beat it super, super fast. But the point is, it's like everybody dies. They should just call it everybody dies. <laughs> Just like in real life. But no, it's spelled Minute. And it's all cute-like, like M-I-N-I-T. We went to PaxCon, we got a plush for the main character. So it's, we have this weird, like, white duck Tamagotchi thing sitting in our room. <laughs> but um, I'm I'm really liking the stuff Devolver's been coming out with lately. So I highly recommend that. Only takes a couple hours. I think even Colin would like it okay. Even Colin. Even Colin. I like some games. Even yeah. Colin. Usually simpler games. It's very simple. I like simple games, too. Um, but yeah, so we're looking forward to uh, Spider-Man and a bunch of other games that are coming out later this year. But that's for some podcast. I don't know. We'll think of something. Oh. It'll do a games podcast. Yeah. I had a bunch of games that I was ready to talk about in December, and then I didn't. Maybe like a December or January games podcast. Yeah. Um, so let's no talk about... Collins allowed. No Collins allowed. Or we try to convince you to play them. Okay. Oh, I don't God. like hate 
games they just take up a lot of time and I have to pay money for them I don't know I'm not anti-game well that must be why you love music because basically nobody it's, pays for that it's anymore free these days um, that's cool one of my favorite albums of the year came out in this uh, two month span that we're talking about I guess for one I should say like it's been very surprising how like the last two months there have been not that many albums I've been like really excited about so I feel like the first half of this year had a lot I mean I wrote about like a bunch of albums over the course of just writing reviews and then I also wrote that like big catch up podcast that like 12 albums or so yeah. that I was reviewing I was like I was getting to the point where I was like I can't keep up with all the music these days and then like uh, July and August there just hasn't been that much it's been kind of weird <laughs> but uh thank god for Mitski <laughs> seriously praise the lord um I didn't really know anything about her at all before uh Puberty 2 came out um I think she only had like one other album before that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was more than that for some reason. Maybe she had some EPs or did some band camp stuff. I don't know. But I think she only had like one proper album. Um, but uh, this new album, Be the Cowboy, um, just like Purity 2, like taps into some real. I guess melancholy is maybe the word for it. I don't know. Loneliness. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in a way that's not depressing. At least to me, I don't think of it as a depressing album to listen to. I rather enjoy listening to it. Yeah, it's hard to say. I, don't, I mean, I enjoy listening to it, but it's like pretty sad music, but in a way that's, I don't know. It, it is easy to listen to. Um, yeah, this this one I feel like is a little more sort of like dancey and polished than uh, Puberty Two, which is kind of more of a rock album. But uh, this one, I don't know. It's also like really eclectic. I don't know. I, th- I don't think she's someone who sees herself as being constrained by genres, and that's that's cool. Um, yeah, it's 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 a good one. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm still kind of. Uh, listening to it a lot and sort of figuring out uh, how much I ultimately like it, but I definitely like it a lot. Um, yeah, she's just a really good songwriter, really good singer. She's, uh, she's got it all. Yeah, to promote the album, she put out some kind of weird merch, and one of the things was like oh, yeah, a, a spoon. That. It was like a ramen spoon that said, eat the cowboy. <laughs> yeah, and I want to get it so bad, but it was sold out instantly. Yeah. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. What about this other album you wanted to talk about? Uh, this is, the, I think, the debut album uh, by Rolling Blackouts, Coastal Fever. They sometimes shorted to Rolling Blackouts, CF, uh, Hope Downs. It's a band on Sub Pop, but unfortunately, I guess they weren't at the big Sub Pop 30 celebration. I mean, there weren't that many bands there. There was like 20, maybe. <laughs> There's a lot of bands for one day of music in a place that's not used to putting on shows. I don't know. But uh, they're an Australian band. Uh, I feel like there are just like a lot of really good sort of indie rock bands coming out of Australia these days. 
Um, it's a, you know, it, it's a very good summer album. It's very like peppy and and sunny and and fun to listen to. But I I also feel like they're, um, I don't know, have a bit better chops than your average like indie rock band. Like they can they can kind of jam and they're really tight and uh, the songs are really catchy and. Uh, it's one that came out in like late June, so I didn't quite uh, listen to it enough to talk about it on our last uh, podcast or in that big long catch-up post that I wrote. But that's one I've listened to quite a bit. It's a, it's a really easy, fun, breezy uh, album Beautiful to put cover on. Girl. What? You're so close to saying the cover girl thing. Easy breeze. <laughs> that's that's my uh, capsule review of Hope Downs. Easy breezy, beautiful. Rolling blackouts. CF. What what about Y Oak? The new Y Oak. Yeah, I just wanted. To, I know this came out in like April, but I guess I didn't write about it or talk about it on mm-hmm. the last podcast we did about music. Um, and this is another one of my favorite albums of the year. Um. It's I don't know. There's a lot of like dream pop music, but I feel like there's only a few artists that are really getting it right for me. Um, and Y Oak is one of them. And so is Beach House, which is why I've been pretty set <laughs> this summer for, as far as music. Um, between um, the louder I call, the faster it runs. The, this new Y Oak album, and also Seven by Beach House. Um, I don't I don't know how much this like means to people who don't listen to Y Oak, but it's like it seems like it's a little more beat heavy this time around than their previous albums which is fine um and it's just got a few songs that I think are really really good uh definitely um this one You of All People uh is I I think one of the great songs of this entire year um even though on our blog and our podcast we don't have any way of really paying tribute to good individual songs only albums always wanted to add like a thing where we do our favorite good. top 10 favorite songs of the year yeah tried so many times to get that going well maybe this is the i year. wouldn't mind it's just yeah i think we're just so jam-packed with stuff that we gotta write about it at the end of the year well we'll write about it in like march but it'll be for the previous year yeah, sure. Grammys rules. Um, yeah, it'll make no sense. <laughs> it's like remember this Grammy, this album from two years ago, it's nominated for a Grammy. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Um, so yeah, uh, the louder I call, the faster it runs. Another good album that maybe we'll talk about in a few months um, when we do our end of the year stuff. Um, so let's talk about TV. Oh, I, I had an album. Oh, you had an album. It's just not on the list. I'm I didn't sorry. know there was a list. There's a list? There's a list. Oh. Uh, Shy Boys, Bell House. It's like the only album I've listened to for like the whole, all of August, I feel like. But I listened to like 20 times. It's so good. You should check it out. It's like the Beach Boys kind of. Five dudes from Kansas City. It's like 24 minutes long. It's fucking great. I don't think any other albums are going to beat it for me my favorite album of the year so mm-hmm. far but i haven't heard many well I've, i feel like i've attempted no i've listened to a lot but it's just like like i don't know parquet courts seems good but i've, I've just tired of parquet courts because they have so many albums i feel like in such a short <laughs> span of time and i don't know most of the bands i've been listening to you know they're just fine but that one i would recommend 
I was pretty mad that Pitchfork did not like it. Hmm. Who did like it? Like, how did you find out about it? I don't. I well, I think it was I went on iTunes and I was just randomly searching stuff that had come out recently. And I do the test where like I play a track, usually the track that's the most popular track, and I listen to it for like. 15 20 seconds and if it doesn't catch me in that in that amount of time then i'm like nah so if it does i'm like whoa it caught me in such a short amount of time can you imagine how hard it is to be a musician if that's the kind <laughs> of test you're up against i mean i don't know yeah. i do it for a lot everybody's getting their shot yeah <laughs> also okay. pure moods 1997 <laughs> uh I'd recommend it for this year. I noticed on All Music it had 10 out of 10. That compilation album? Yes. Whatever All Music is. I mean, I feel like it's probably pretty perfect for what genre it is. It's got Tubular Bells Part 1, guys. Listen to the Tubular Bells album. Listen to the whole thing. It's one song. It's 49 minutes long. And the theme to The Exorcist. Because it was originally... Lalo Schifrin, but they scraped it. Even though he wrote the Mission Impossible theme, more on that later. Thank you. TV. So TV. Um, and these are going to be shows that are on right now for the most part, um, just because again of that two month window we're in to talk about stuff. Um, so Better Call Saul came back in August. Um, picked up like minutes after where the last season ended and. Uh, continues to be a show that is taking its time with its storytelling um, but also um, I can't imagine anyone finding that problematic at this point um, especially since they have so many Breaking Bad plots going on now uh, and recurring Breaking Bad characters and even cameos from Breaking Bad characters which I'll, I'll leave it at that because I know you guys haven't watched this season yet um, it's um, just like on a technical level I don't think there's any show that's as interesting to watch as Better Call Saul it's shot so well they do so many fun you know fast motion or slow motion or they put a camera like in a garbage can or like in a sink faucet or something um, they, they're so fun with how they make that show um that I, I like it a lot. And I don't care where it's going. How close is it to catching up with Breaking Bad? It's... Oh, it doesn't seem like it is. Yeah, it's... I thought it's like in the late 90s. It's, it's really hard to say when it is. I thought it had what's-his-face on it. Uh, Gus, isn't he on it now? Gus is on it uh, as as main cast. You know, um, Mike is also main cast. For the first season of the show, it's kind of like split between Jimmy and Mike. Um, and it's I think it, it like wobbles more like sometimes the episode will be like entirely Mike but we just like Jimmy at the beginning and the end and, and other times you know it's okay going and doing like a trial episode mm-hmm. without Mike at all um, and they have um, just other members of the cartel that um, Gus is involved in that you end up following a lot of um, one of the other main characters is Nacho, who is uh, the uh, that guy from Far Cry 3 who I've talked about before. I'm just kind of repeating myself the stuff I've said about Better Call Saul before. Um, but I guess that just means it it's still really good, because I think it was my favorite TV show last year, like my number one on my top ten, so I'm happy with it. Um, 
Another show I wanted to talk about was Disenchantment, the uh, new Matt Groening show on Netflix, um, which to me the biggest surprise was that it is a like serialized fantasy show. They're not messing around and trying to get uh, ex-Simpson fans who also like Game of Thrones to watch this show. Um, Call me out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I definitely liked it, which I was not sure that I would, given that I really don't care for The Simpsons anymore, and I didn't particularly like the resurrected Futurama, um, and I wouldn't say Disenchantment lives up to early Simpsons or Futurama, uh, really at all, but um, thanks to its serialized nature, it, I did find it very bingeable. I ended up watching the whole 10-episode season in about a week. That must say something then, right? Yeah, I think probably so. like it better than the revival of Futurama then, right? Probably. I've yet to finish it because I got distracted by trying to catch up on all Adventure Bros. But I liked it too. I, I don't understand why it got such div- like bad reviews. I don't know what everyone's expecting. I don't I don't get it. I think it's fine. I like I like the three main characters. I think that's what works the most for it for me. Yeah, I was skeptical. I think they're very strong. But uh, I ended up liking all three of them. Yeah. Like I'm not sure about the Elfo liking um what's your face? Bean. But I still like the character and I love the performance by Nat Faxon. Mm-hmm. They're all good. And I love hearing the Futurama supporting cast here and there. Uh, I didn't really care for the animation, but I guess it's not that bad. Yeah, it's fine. For it feels me, cheaper. Yeah. Uh, also, the sound design seems really minimal. Like, yeah, it does. There aren't a lot of sound effects. I'm hoping that 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 improves because Netflix has got to be pretty rich, right? Yeah, they got to be able to afford that, or they just not care. Yeah, it gets to a point where they just don't feel like putting money into something because they have like so many shows and movies to be putting money into. Maybe they're a little stingy. I think at the end of the season they say like end of part one, which makes me wonder if maybe they actually are doing it as like a twenty-two episode season or something. I don't really know what the production cycle is like, but maybe we'll have more uh, of this show soon. I would think so. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Uh, speaking of Netflix, I also. Uh, must shamefully admit that I gave in and started watching the new season of Terrace House called uh, Opening New Doors. Am I supposed to be surprised by that? I thought you loved that show. It's like your favorite show. Yeah, I still love it. Uh, I feel like I watched maybe the first episode when it came out and then just didn't commit. I was like, no, I don't need this anymore. But then later on, I needed it so bad. Don't lie to yourself, show. Um, And it got... Uh, is I think it's already peaked and it's gonna be downhill from here, because um, two of the housemates like flirted and fell in love and got together as a couple and left the show together and it was so sweet and romantic and uh, charming. Uh, it's the cutest thing the show's ever done. And now that those two characters aren't on the show, um, it's just gonna be like six very polite people that don't have any chemistry with each other, which I'm worried about. But here's the thing. One of the guys, the guy that got together with the girl, his name is Sean. 
Whoa. <laughs> that's your name. That's my and name. And it's not a very common name at all. You're like the only shot I've ever met. Uh, he's a Japanese guy. And of, and of course, because he's Japanese, they, they spell it S-C-H-I-O-N. Um, but I saw him write it in Japanese, and he wrote it the same way I wrote my name. So I think they're just phonetically translating it. He has, he's got the same name as me. Wow. I'm really happy for you. Thank you. Um, the last show I wanted to talk about was The Venture Brothers. It suddenly came back. Um, you never know when The Venture Brothers are going to strike. Um, and it turned out this August was one of those times. Uh, I believe the seasons are still very short. Like, um, like the last season, the one set in New York, was I think only eight episodes, maybe even less than that. Maybe six episodes. And, um, and maybe this one is also only like six episodes, uh, in which case four have already aired. So we're, we're basically done. Um, but, um, the Venture Brothers has just like every episode has been phenomenal since they really started taking their time. Um, it doesn't feel like a show that's like written by two people and who also voice most of the characters. Um, it feels like a huge epic um, superhero slash adventure show, um, and uh, and I'm happy to be watching it again. Any chance I get to watch this show that's been going for like 35 years uh, and it still only has like 18 episodes is a real real treat. You guys gonna watch it? I'll probably try to catch up eventually. There's got a lot of things I gotta catch up with. We'll get there. Uh, you want to talk about Criterion Month first, or do you want to talk about new movies? Oh, that's a good question. I guess just let's just finish the 2018 stuff real okay. fast. So, Ant Man and the Wasp came out. Uh, it's the the least good of the three Marvel movies that came out this year. Um, but I think it's better than the first Ant Man. And it's still fun, and it accomplishes a lot of that by making Paul Rudd sort of like the... He's almost like the secondary character in every scene, but he's also the only character who's like in every scene. So it's like mostly about the Wasp um, trying to get back her mom, but there's a lot of heists and hijinks that happen along the way, and they have a lot of fun with people growing huge and shrinking small, um, which just would would really stand out except for like Infinity War did really good CGI fighting and then Incredibles 2 did really inventive superhero action sequences and so having both of those already in your mind you're pretty satisfied with that type of entertainment by the time Ant-Man and the Wasp comes along and so you have to just enjoy the jokes I guess um I guess going alphabetically, the next one would be Black Klansman, which Colin already wrote a lot about on the blog. Uh, what I will add to that is um, Spike Lee got, he wanted too much and, and he couldn't get it. Um, he couldn't decide if he wanted to make a comedy or like a, like a serious message movie, I think. And so he tried to do both. And that re like really wasn't a problem until the end of the movie, which ended up bugging me a lot. Um, so I, I, I would keep that as more of like a 
like three and a half star movie personally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it definitely has like some really good moments in it, mm-hmm. but it feels like more like a movie composed of good moments rather than like a cohesive like quote unquote great film but it's just always nice to see Spike Lee like on his game because I don't know how often that happens I really haven't seen many of his more recent movies but it seems like the first time in a while anyone's gotten that excited about one of his joints yeah there was that hype for Chirac but I feel like it didn't turn into anything I don't feel like that movie was particularly a hit I didn't see it yeah um, something I did see a lot of was Mission Impossible Fallout, um, which is an astounding masterpiece of an action film. Uh, not just the best film of this year, but maybe the best film of all years. Uh, I uh, heavily That's recommend true, everyone go see good. Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> I had a good time. Yeah, that was a really good action movie. It definitely had some sequences that felt like a little more like real and, and visceral than you're usually used to getting i guess you kind of put it like uh, on par with the dark knight in that regard um yeah it's, it's fun to watch uh top crews run around it seemed like the stakes were higher in this one than the last one for sure uh yeah i don't know just a really good action movie and not in a way where it like felt like too much. <laughs> I mean, I guess you 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 pointed out to me that Christopher McQuarrie like took out that scene that's in the trailer where he was like about to like Tom Cruise is about to smash his truck into like another oncoming truck. Uh, his helicopter. His helicopter into an oncoming, into truck. An oncoming <laughs> truck. They just took that scene out of the movie, I guess, because they wanted. They just thought there was too much action. There's, there is a lot of action, but I guess I respect that, that they kind of let the movie breathe at parts so you don't feel like you're being overloaded with entertainment. Yeah. When I watched it a second time, I really the whole movie is a long action sequence, but they just have a few, like, let's stop and talk, like, intermissions in it, and that's all you need to not be exhausted watching this movie. Yeah. I think that's kind of a problem I had watching Age of Ultron is I felt exhausted watching a lot of that movie. But I mean, that's, that's probably, more, I think you that's, mean that's, Infinity that's, War, right? But that's probably also yeah, true of Infinity Age of Ultron. War. Yeah, I meant Infinity War. But that's also kind of exhaustive storytelling as well as action sequences. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this one keeps it pretty clean. Um, yeah, I, I had a good time with it. Henry Cavill's also real good, with a really stupid mustache. Yeah, sure. It's great. <laughs> um, what's, what's next alphabetically? Is it Game Night? It's oh, game I was just night. gonna skip name Game Night. <laughs> yeah, all right. We saw Game Night on Redbox. It was funny. Yeah, it was. Wow. I liked that guy. I can never remember his name. Matt, fat Matt Damon, Meth Damon, Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons. <laughs> that guy is fantastic in everything I see him in. He was the best part of that as their weirdo cop neighbor. I feel like every time he's on screen, Sean could not stop laughing. <laughs> and he was great. 
We still need to see blockers, man. We still need to see blockers. Because you think you thought like as of recent year the comedy was dead. It seemed like there wasn't any good comedies coming out. The best comedy movies are Marvel action movies. <laughs> so it's refreshing to see like, hey, comedy movies can still be made. I don't know how well it did. It probably did okay. But they're out there, man. I will say this though. I gotta say this. These people are serious gamers. They get together for game nights all the time. They are also adults with money. The games they play are charades and like Trivial Pursuit and like Monopoly. These are kids' garbage games. They are not serious gamers. Right. It's bullshit. I don't know why they would choose this category and not actually do research on the subject. That seems weird. And it escalates from them playing like Trivial Pursuit Maybe. to them playing like it's a real game with like guns and shit. Yeah. It's like they weren't doing that kind of stuff. Perhaps corporate interests. Milton Bradley had a fair stake in this film. <laughs> Perhaps. The, the Parker brothers were <laughs> trying to get their games out there because no one's heard of them. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you bring up corporate interests because the last movie I wanted to talk about was Sorry to Bother You. Yeah. Um, which... You, I mean, going by the trailer, you think it's going to be a movie about race specifically because, you know, the concept is that this character is getting ahead in his career because he does a white voice uh, as an African-American man. Um, but it goes in a lot of directions, <laughs> and it's, it's, it has a lot to say about the institutions that keep down all people in society um and also it just has some ideas that it needs to get out of its system i think um making it um like just an amazing <laughs> movie watching experience I don't, I don't i can't remember feeling like that watching a movie at least not in a long time um Especially when the main twist is revealed, sort of at the end of the second act, um, I, that was such a delight for me. Um, that I don't, I'm sure for some people that's not going to work at all. Yeah, no, that's kind of like the Baker break moment. I think for some viewers, where some people are just gonna be like, "Nope, I'm out." <laughs> but I don't know how I reacted. To that. I was just like, "Huh, okay, let's see where this goes." But uh, no, I, I I love where this movie goes. I had a really hard time wrestling with it, like after the first viewing, because yeah, it is such as like a messy film. It has so many things going on, but that's what's like amazing about it. It's just uh, it's, it's it's got a lot of ideas and a lot of things just packed into it. It's uh, yeah, I'd love to see it again. It's probably my favorite movie of this year it's uh it's a hell of a thing <laughs> yeehaw um so i guess that wraps up the 2018 section of this podcast um now we're going to talk about really the main thing we all did this summer <laughs> yeah that's why we didn't watch as many tv shows or movies and um, we each sat down and watched 10 criterion movies and you can hear um, our thought process on that other podcast we did, the 2018 Criterion Draft. But uh, now we're going to go through a uh, sort of a ranking of give our final thoughts on those films. 
Um, so I guess, John, we've heard the least from you. So how about we start with your um, number 10 Criterion Month movie? My least favorite movie, which was still fine because it's hard to pick Criterion movies that are bad, except for that one time when I watched Sallow or 120 Days Song. <laughs> <laughs> what is The Freshman with the Harold oh. Boyd? Um, wasn't even really about college. It was really just about football, and it didn't really seem like anyone really knew what football was back then because they kind of there's not really any rules to it. Though I did like there's a part where he like he gets the string on the ball loose and he's bouncing it like a yo-yo. It, I don't think you can do that, but it's fine. It's kind of <laughs> funny. It just, it seemed like a short that was somehow a feature. Mm. So how long was it? Do you remember? It was probably like 70 minutes, but <laughs> it, it should have been like 20 minutes. Wow, it was okay. Um, I feel bad. Uh, Nexus Rules of the Game, which is a classic, one of the great French films of all time. And I mean, I liked mo- I liked all of these. It just got to rank them somehow, right? And I was glad that it wasn't as pretentious as I thought it was, as I thought it was going to be. Um, it was it was funny. There's there's just one part that I really hated where they're like killing like all these animals, like. Like just real animals, they did it for real. Oh no! <laughs> like a shitload. It's like a, it's like I feel like the scene just goes on forever, like killing rabbits and birds. It's just like nonstop shooting around, and it was just like it really took me out of the movie, and then it's hard to get back in. It was okay. Um, number eight, Throne of Blood. Um, I wish there was more action in that, but the last like ten minutes don't disappoint because it's got like eight thousand arrows, and like you know, there's that great scene. Where Toshiro Mifune is like dodging, like he's like getting out of the way of most arrows, but then it gets to a certain point. I don't think I'm spoiling anything because it's like so old where he starts getting hit by a lot of them. It takes a lot of arrows to take him down. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. Maybe let's stop you there. We'll do three each. Good idea. And go around. Um, let's just go clockwise, Colin. You. <laughs> okay. Uh, my number 10 was The Thief of Baghdad. Again, I didn't really have any that like I, I disliked watching. I think. I don't know. I just guess just the story of the Thief of Baghdad wasn't that interesting to me. It was just kind of like a typical sort of like shitty Aladdin story. Shitty. It was basically just Aladdin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've got like a genie and a like a street rat type of character and like a fancy sultan guy who's fucking evil. Did it actually star any Middle Eastern people? Uh, yeah, the, the like the little kid. Uh, named Sabu. He is like a. He's, I think he was Indian. Um, I might have had some other, like yeah, people of color in background roles. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a British produced film, so it did have some some British people playing like Middle Eastern guys, and it. I don't know. It, it never seemed super offensive to me, I guess, because they all seemed fairly British too. I don't know. It didn't like detract from the movie really. It had some fun like special effects in it, uh, for very primitive for the time, but also pretty impressive for the time, I would say. Uh, then number nine, another movie I liked is uh, Repo Man. Um, I think the problem with it was like, ever, like Shaw was telling me like the the ending's pretty crazy, and the ending is crazy. It's a it's, it's a fun little thing for a movie where you're just like not quite sure where this thing is going but I think it just like didn't help that I saw Sorry to Bother You like the night before <laughs> it just goes so much more crazy than Repo Man does but 
Yeah, I, I, I like the kind of style of it, of like the early 80s kind of punk aesthetic and like consumerism and sort of the, the beginning of the Reagan era. I don't know. Also, uh, Harry Dean Sands, super cool in it. Uh, number eight was uh, Woman of the Year, which is uh, Audrey Hepburn. Um, no, Catherine Hepburn, uh, Spencer Tracy movie. Which was pretty good. Um, it had some nice, like, sort of like, I don't know, sophisticated comedy moments in it, but also, like, uh, kind of veered into drama at times, too. Uh, I don't know. It was just kind of interesting to see, sort of like, an earlier one of uh, their movies, uh, Hepburn and Tracy, since I watched Adam's Rib, which was a later one, like, not that long ago. Uh, it was made not that long ago. Is that what I said? That's the way it sounded to me. I said I saw it not that long ago. <laughs> no, it was made like <laughs> seventy years ago. That's a while ago. Uh, yeah, it was fine. These are all three and a half star movies. All three and a half, huh? Yeah. Um, my number ten is uh, the importance of being earnest. <laughs> <laughs> That old lady character mm. is the best character. Sweet. Um, do you guys? I put a little video in in my review. I did watch it, and it was funny. Can you remind me what it was? So this this guy is telling his real story. It's funny because he's lying almost the whole movie, but he does tell the truth about how he was adopted, and he says that he was found in a train station, and he was found in a handbag at the train station and this old woman who cares so much about everything being proper just when she hears that she's so aghast and she's she, I, I can't do an impression of it because it's just her reaction is so pure and funny but she goes a handbag and it's delightful um, and then that character goes away for a while and she comes back at the end and she's still great I finally figured out what the importance of being earnest is about by watching this and it's about um getting getting married and how if you're rich and white really the rules don't matter that much you can just kind of fuck around with them and everything works out real good anyway wasn't another reason you watched it, aside from being a substitution because you had you wanted to pick something else was another reason you watched it as a kind of an introduction to oscar wilde in yeah general? do you think you'd be interested in seeing other adaptations of his work i think so i think specifically more contemporary ones would be interesting to me um like I know there's an importance of being earnest with like Colin Firth um, and, and, and other things but uh, you could just cheat and see that movie about him do you know who plays Oscar Wilde in that movie Wilde uh, is it Stephen Fry it's Stephen Fry yeah. it's perfectly it has cast. to be it yeah. has to be right um, yeah uh, but still like for a 70 year old comedy movie I had a pretty good time based on a 110 year old comedy play um, my number nine would be the man who fell to earth, um, just because it's very experimental, and I I need something a little more concrete in my entertainment. Um, it's also thoroughly depressing if you think about the message of the movie, which I think is earthly pleasures destroy your soul. <laughs> Um, 
because earthly pleasures are kind of all we have, and then you die and you're gone. Um, so my number <laughs> eight is The Last Picture Show. Also a pretty depressing movie. Uh, I watched a lot of depressing movies, though, so I can't just use that as the only qualifier. Um, I will say, like, seeing familiar actors in movies in, during Criterion Month is is nice that doesn't happen very often most of the time i'm watching like french movies with people i've never heard of so um that was cool um you know there's this this whole idea of like the cinematic small town in texas and this is another like great example of that place that i don't does like did places like this exist do they still exist probably and, like they're still making movies like hell or high water that shows these small dying texas towns um and they're, they're great settings for movies, but boy, do they seem like horrible places to grow up and live in. John, um, ready to keep going? Is Paper Moon in the Criterion Collection yet? I don't think so. I just realized another Peter Bogdanovich movie from the 70s is also in black and white. Mm. It's really good. I like that one a lot. Just thinking about that. Just wondering yeah. if anyone knew. I've My number. What did you say? I've seen it. Yeah, it's good. Of course, you have. Got Randy Quaid. Every Criterion movie that you've heard of, but that isn't a Criterion movie. Or is it? Or is it? <laughs> it well, it should be. It but one that is somewhere. is my number seven, which is Blue is the warmest color, which is uh, a coming of age film. It's a um, woman who's uh, discovering sexuality and discovers that she likes uh, girls, specifically this one girl with blue hair and. Their relationship that spans over a couple years. I like the movie a lot, except it's 179 fucking minutes long, which is pretty long for like an intimate drama. And it was like it was is not is like the, the you know the interactions. Was on, uh, it was it had a very real feeling to it. You know, it felt like life. Like, but I just it was so hard to watch it in one sitting. I had to break it up. It was tough. But I really like the characters. It was really explicit, but like I don't care. Like I was really surprised that it was an NC-17 movie, but I guess when there's sex in it, it's too much for people. Was it? Was it called Blue Valentine? That one movie with like Ryan Gosling. Gosling. You're, yeah. But there was also like a really serious, realistic relationship movie. Yeah, that spanned years. That spanned. Is that just a? That I think that's like a. I think that's a lot like a lot darker though, mm. right? I think so. It's a lot sadder. This is like not as sad. I mean, it's a little sad, but um, I don't know. It's just a good coming of age movie. Um, it was just too fucking long. I want to point out how many times you said words like coming and fucking, and I didn't make any <laughs> sexual jokes. Well, I'm proud of you. Um, my number six was a substitution for Rat Catcher because I couldn't find it anywhere. I, that was surprising because Lynn Ramsey just had a movie that came out this year. You guys talked about it on our last podcast. <laughs> so what the fuck? Where is it? Um, anyways, but I did watch Buena Vista's Social Club, which, let me pull up the Wikipedia to remember <laughs> everything about it. Uh, let's see. I was trying to, what's that guy's name? I just need that one name. I feel like an idiot. Um, you know, the guitarist dude, Ry Cooter. And uh, is a movie where it, it kind of... Um, this whole thing started with Rakuter was like producing artists in Cuba and finding there's all these like legendary artists that were still alive from like the 50s and 60s, and they're kind of like 
folk or I, I think there was a specific name for the genre of music they played it was kind of like folky but it was also like very dancey and he decides to like record all these guys and then get them together and play some shows and he did manage to get them like to do a show in new york which was i think pretty tricky because they're all from cuba and of course relations were so good in the 90s mm-hmm. as they were for a long time and it's, it's it's basically just getting to know all these eccentric personalities and all these um interesting musicians and uh it was just a lot of great music and a lot of crazy characters and it was cool that after they got together for this album and this movie that the group stayed together and kept doing um, music but I, I, another thing that struck me with the movie is when Raikuda is like talking about like I wanted to get these guys together because who knows like how long like any of them like like we do it while we can and then like so many of the guys died like three years after the movie Aww. so it was like it was it was good that they, they got this made when it was made and my number five is the red shoes, which I feel like is probably controversial. I don't care. Um, <laughs> Good. I liked it. I liked. I liked. I mean, I liked. I liked all the the musical segments. Um, I don't want to go into it. So I'll leave it at that. I don't have to defend myself. Fight <laughs> <Like> you. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. Um. So that was a. Uh... Okay, so it's Colin's turn. Yeah. Um, my number seven was Fish Tank. Uh, it seems like we did quite a few coming of age movies. This is another one. About a young girl who's in like a working class part of London. And she just wants to dance, man. She just wants to dance. And her mom's got like a... Sh- shitty boyfriend who kind of hangs around well he seems okay but then you learn he's pretty shitty <laughs> and uh he's played by michael fassbender which is a pretty early role for him i guess i remember sean walked in on me watching the movie and he's like that's michael fassbender because you'd seen it already mm-hmm. i'd seen it the year it came out because yeah. i was way into film spotting at the time <laughs> what year is this 2009 i think so, Sounds about right. so post 300 I guess. My Fassbender was in that, I've been told. I've seen 300 and I don't remember my Fassbender. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. He probably has like no lines or he's just standing there. Yeah. It's like Vio Mortensen in Witness. He's just like in a lot of shots, but he never actually says anything. That's right. I feel like the first time I knew who he was was Inglorious Me Bastard. too. That was like, the, I was like, oh, this guy's interesting. I like this guy. So that was, that was like 2010, right? I think it's season 9. 2009. So. Very close to recognizing him when this movie came out. Just on the cusp of Fassbender mania. Yeah. Uh, Number six was My Night at Mods, which was like my introduction to Eric Romare, which is just like one of those French New Wave directors I'd heard of but never really watched much of his movies. I guess Alan René would be another one. and my night mods, it was it's just a, like a very talky movie about a bunch of kind of French people hanging out in an apartment, and it felt like a lot like a play, but like a you know a good play, where the dialogue's very like crackling and you're you're into it. You can see like relationships form within these conversations. It was pretty good. Yeah, uh, sounds good. And then uh, number five was Multiple Maniacs. 
I don't, I don't know how to rate a movie like this. It's like one of the more amateurish movies I've ever seen. Like even the opening credits, you can tell is just like the camera looking at like a piece of paper and like rolling down on the credits, uh, and just like very kind of like rough sixteen millimeter uh, black and white. But it just I don't know, just the spirit of it, just in the name of like kind of like grossness and freaking people out and just bad taste but in a fun way and lobsters and lobsters i watched a good chunk of this at home. yeah that seat in the church in the middle where they're like juxtaposing this weird church sex scene with the crucifixion of christ is just like very effective in a really like obscene kind of way uh yeah it's i had a fun time with it but will you watch more john waters films now yeah i'd like to i guess i need to see pink flamingos i've seen uh female trouble which is also on criterion you don't need to see pecker what is Pecker? It's like a pretty normal movie from the 90s with like yeah. Eddie Furlong as a photographer. Mm-hmm. My memory, it's okay. But you don't need to see it. Doesn't sound like it. He got real no- more like normalized in like the early 90s. Yeah. Gotta love him. Mm-hmm. I just love like he just got his motley crew together. It's like, let's just make a movie. <laughs> it's got like a vague premise. Let's go with it. Yeah. That's cool. I respect that. You know, John, we've been developing this director character who's been like, but wouldn't it be crazy if <laughs> <laughs> this guy who just like the, the movie's well planned out and then this guy just says you don't be fucked up and they just throw something in there if in that case for that movie it'd be you don't be fucked up if there's just like a fucking like a lobster and it doesn't make any sense it's just in the movie at one part yeah that's, that's about how that scene plays <laughs> Um, my number seven is the Abbas Kiristami film Taste of Cherry, um, which is undeniably slow, but still very compelling. Um, based on my whole review, is just talking about, like, I don't get why Roger Ebert called this one of the worst movies he's ever seen in his entire life. Because it's really good. Um, it's, a, it's about a guy driving around uh, Tehran looking for someone... Um, who will he's going to go uh i think overdose in in a grave he's already dug out and he just wants someone to come by and shovel dirt on top of his corpse or help him out if he hasn't died um and you know you you think this movie will be about a search for a, a meaning of life and it's not quite that and it's also not like it's not really a story about someone trying to save him from the decision he's made and it's also not even a story about why he chose to kill himself the, the movie does not at all talk about this guy's life before he got in his car and started driving around tehran looking for someone uh to do this for him um and so uh you know it's it's, it's kind of up to the audience to derive meaning from it um but even if you're not interested in that just the way the film is shot uh, I think makes it worthwhile. Uh, the, especially he he drives around this like 
construction site where there are these huge I don't know what it is it's just like huge hills of dirt and these massive machines and they're throwing stuff around and there's like obvious symbolism of them like they're like dumping a lot of dirt and he just needs someone to bury him but it also it looks like they're like terraforming Mars but this is just like real stuff that's happening uh, in Iran in the 90s so um, uh, a film I'd recommend and definitely I want to keep seeing Kiristami films um Number six, I'm also going a little low with Powell and Pressburger. Uh, Black Narcissus is my number six. Um, it's a very performance-centric movie, um, which I think is cool because it was made in the 40s and it has a majority female cast. And it's not really about like finding love and it's not about these noble nuns like saving a community that needs them. It's... <laughs> It's about like madness in the jungle and uh, the limits of religion and faith and, uh, and and again I keep talking about the institutions that you know make society work and how uh, they have a, a veneer of strength that uh, belies their fragility. Um, really like the ending of that movie, especially the way um, that it's shot because it's all matte paintings, but it looks so cool. Uh, and it's all in like brilliant Technicolor, which Technicolor right up there with black and white as underrated ways for movies to look. Wow, quite a claim. <laughs> um, and then I wanted to talk about Harakiri because John was talking about someone taking a lot of arrows to go down, mm-hmm. and the whole ending of Harakiri is someone getting stabbed with a lot of swords, but he's not going down. Um, and that is all I'll say about. Um, the violent nature of this well no, I'll say one more thing about how violent Harakiri is, there's a part where somebody has to commit suicide with a wooden sword and he has to commit suicide by pushing the wooden sword through his stomach it was very disturbing to watch (laughs) not surprising that Kobayashi's next film was a horror movie that we reviewed last October oh yeah, quite on yeah, Harakiri is like Fuck samurais, fuck tradition, and I'm all about that. It's super cool. All right, John, we're getting to the top, top five, I guess. Top four. Top four. So I'll do four, three, two, and then we'll all go around yeah, with our number we'll one. Go around doing number one. All right. So my number four is George Washington, not about the president. I know. My disappointment. About soft heads. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> So it's a coming-of-age movie. It's the debut from David Gordon Green. He filmed it in North Carolina, where I, I'm not sure if he's from. At least he spent a lot of time there. And it's about a group of kids growing up in like really shitty-looking town. And one kid in particular, who um, uh, George, and he has a very he has like some sort of condition where he has like a like a soft outer layer like over his skull. So if he gets water in it, it could like kill him. And um, wait, really? Like you can't take showers? No, he has to like put. He was always doing powder and like wearing. He's like taking baths and he's like putting something over his head. I think it's like an exaggerated version of something that's real. I don't think it's quite accurate, but it's close to something Gosh, that does exist. Um, and a lot of it's just kids hanging out. But then there is like a part and, uh, where like a kid gets like killed, and George feels like he's going to be responsible, like responsible or blamed for it in some some way. But then later in the movie, he like does like saves a kid. He's like drowning, even though it could kill him. So then Whoa. he becomes like a town hero. But he's also got this other thing, like if people find out, could really, you know, ruin his life. And it's already a tough life. Holy cow! And um, 
it's just a really interesting setting and a really interesting group of child actors who are all really good and most of them never did anything else but this the only star in it is Paul is Mark Vandanowitz I refuse to say his real name but I prefer to say Mark Vandanowitz as just some blue collar worker guy who kind of talks to the kids sometimes and it's just crazy to think that David Gordon Green started out with this artsy you know just really cinematic and narration and just like from there to like the the sitter then we <laughs> and now to doing the new Halloween movies like what the fuck are you doing man though the new Halloween movie is in North Carolina it's returned to North Carolina Ooh. so hopefully you know maybe that'll be in the Criterion Collection that's um, what he's hoping uh, my number three is Stalker which I was so glad was good because I was worried because I hated Solaris I never finished it um, but uh, you know of course Stalker is the same director Tark- um, Tarkovsky and uh, it's it's a little long and it is a little slow, but it's it's pretty easy to follow. It's basically these people living in this weird post-apocalyptic shitty part of Russia, and there's this place I think it was called the Zone, where there's some sort of door in the in the zone where if you open that door, you're gonna like get like wishes. You know, you're like you can you know whatever you want will come true. So this guy who's called a stalker and his job is to go in there. Um, leads these dudes in there and it's just super beautiful but like also kind of like disgusting at the same time they filmed like all these like shitty like nuclear sites that had like blown up like years and years before and this is crazy because this is pre-chernobyl so i guess they're always just having like power plants blowing up and shit all over the place so it's a very interesting looking film like everything in it is basically real and yet they say it's the weird post-apocalyptic future so it's just great eye candy and um, there's some interesting themes in it. I don't want to give away the end of that one as much. Because um, it's worth checking out. It's pretty cool. I walked in and saw the end of that movie. Because I was getting home from work. That's oh, all I know about it. Okay. Well, I probably didn't make a lot of sense. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Just like my number two, which is Persona. Which I don't entirely understand. But I don't want to go too much into the story of that. Because it'll take me a little bit to you know, unwrap that and explain but uh, what I did appreciate it, appreciate about it was, the, of course, the look and cinematography of it. Something about the balance between how it looks and the music made, made it feel like a way more contemporary film. It's crazy to think it's as old as it is. Uh, so that was definitely um, something that kept me involved. And also the fact that it's like creepy, but it's also just like a good like character drama. And it's yeah, it's kind of hard to describe, and it's short too, which is good for me. It's like eighty-one minutes or something. That's a big nice. plus in the John book. Uh, it's probably this is probably the shittiest uh, brief summary it was ever done for someone. <laughs> <laughs> it was short. <laughs> a plus, one of the two best. But I think I said what I want to say, considering I was not prepared to talk about any of these. No one is. No okay. One is. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, number four. It was just just as hard to talk about. I did manage to write a review of Koyana Skatsi. Koyana Skatsi. Yep. Some sweet tunes in there. I mean, really, just like one sweet tune. that it, It's my favorite movie. the length of the entire film. From the whole marathon, it's my favorite movie. Just because I was sitting in my room <laughs> playing computer games and just hearing Koyana Skatsi blasting through the house it's hilarious you heard the whole thing yeah because yeah i mean the, the soundtrack goes throughout the whole movie just like one continuous song to like 
goes in waves and it gets very intense at times. It was like a very weird night. It seems like it to just hear like the <laughs> or it's just like that for like 10 minutes mm-hmm. while you're watching like cityscapes of like cars driving down the highway in fast motion seasons changing lots of buildings people going to work in time lapse shit yeah it's uh i had a really good time watching it mm-hmm. kind of wish i was on drugs but even sober it was, it was a really like intense amazing experience would be nice to see it in a theater too but well no i've never seen it in a theatrical setting uh but yeah no uh easy movie to just like sit down and let it wash over you uh, number three uh, is Vagabond, an Agnes Varda movie from the 80s about uh, vagrancy, basically. Uh, big shocker. Big shocker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a young woman kind of just like traveling across the French countryside, just like, just like meeting a bunch of people. And also the film has kind of this documentary feel where it has like interviews with people who kind of knew her and um yeah just like a very interesting way to get to know a character and uh clearly the film just like has a lot of empathy for her and all the people she meets which is uh i don't know just just a very interesting way of showing homelessness in a way that's not like looking down at at that kind of lifestyle uh, oh, my number two was The Battle of Algiers, um, this Italian-made film about the Algerian War, uh, which is a moment in time that I really didn't know anything about. Um, so when is it in time? It's, it's like the early 50s, I want to say. Okay. Late 40s, early 50s, kind of this... Uh, there were kind of these resistant groups within um, Algeria, which was French occupied at the time, who were, uh, I don't know, engaging in these acts of like urban terrorism. But you kind of watch the film and you see where they're coming from, since they're, of course, being oppressed by this uh, French regime. And um, I don't know, just the the filmmaking style I thought was really interesting. It had this very gritty sort of docudrama feel to it. It felt very modern, even though it has, you know, a documentary feel that's very specific to the time, this grainy sort of black and white style, but I I felt, like, very engaged, and it, it, yeah, it felt very ahead of its time. And I know it's, it's kind of been an influential movie on some... I don't know, some recent movies. It felt very much like a Catherine Bigelow or like a Paul Greengrass movie, you know, that that kind of style, which is kind of rough around the edges, but, you know, made in the 60s. Uh, I kind of regret not giving it five stars, but whatever. Wow. It's really good. Nice. Uh, it's my number 400 blows. <laughs> Uh, it's a coming of. <laughs> Did you do that intentionally? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you're really clever. Um, 400 Blows is a French movie that everyone else has already seen. 
about a little boy uh, who doesn't who just keeps getting in trouble because he doesn't he doesn't play by the rules um, and how that really derails his life um, and uh, screws up his family situation and then ultimately goes real bad for him uh, and I know that this is a movie that has sequels um, so maybe it turns around but I, I have a feeling that the sequels are also um, disappointing realistic takes on poverty and um, how hard it is if you just like don't if you just like almost fit in but not quite like you just you're not quite good enough to, to do well in school or uh, not piss off your parents um, and then you end up running away or stealing shit or just getting in trouble um, like the meanest teacher character I've ever seen in a movie is in the 400 blows this guy just hates everyone I mean, Sean, we all know who the meanest teacher character in a movie is. It's, it's the fucking Trunchbull, Matilda. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if she's technically a teacher. But I, she does take a child and throw her out the window. <laughs> and if Matilda doesn't use her magic to make the girl float over the flowers, she would probably be dead. <laughs> <laughs> you make a good point, John. Um, my number three, also a coming-of-age film, Pather Panchali, a Bengali film about uh, a family of four. Um, uh, it's the Apu trilogy. Apu is the youngest uh, in the family, and uh, I feel like the movie is, is just as equally interested in, in him as it is um, his older sister and his mother. Uh, neither of whom I can remember the names of, um, but um, it's um, it's almost a, a, a movie composed of vignettes. Um, you know, it'll be uh, Apu is born in one scene, and then the next scene he's like five years old, um, and, uh, and it tells it's really it's just the it's trying to capture the experience of growing up. Um, not not even specifically in this part of the world or in this part of history, but just like being a kid and playing with your sister and not understanding what's going on with your parents, and 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 I'll probably also being a you know young mother who's frustrated with uh, with the way that her life's going and being a young father and having to give up your dreams just to make ends meet and and worrying about your family's legacy. Um, and you know, but also just like the joys of playing with toys that are new and stuff like that. Um, it's a really great movie, and I told myself I should watch the whole trilogy in the month of July, and now it's September, and I still haven't watched the sequels. Um, but uh, hopefully, I'll get around to them at some point. Uh, and then my number two uh, is is Bicycle Thieves. They're motherfuckers. They stole his bike. It sucks. <laughs> Fucking assholes. Yeah, can you imagine if they took Liam Neeson's bike? Oh. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> we all got Liam Neeson fatigue. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I wrote in my review that um, movies about, like, the movies that, like, very clearly set a character's expectations and then disappoint that character 
are like the most emotionally effective movies to me. I get way more swept up in those sorts of stories than romantic stories or revenge stories. Um, that's, that's just, for some reason, that's, that's an emotion I'm very keyed in on in cinema. Um, and yeah, just, it's just brutal what happens to this guy. And they, they do it so well. They make it like the wife has to sell her linens, but he's got the job, he's got the bike. He's going to be able to take care of everything. He brings his son with him. And then, oh, it's so sad. Uh, and, and just the way that that movie builds up to um, the final uh, the final act that the character commits. And then the, uh, the repercussions of it. Um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of optimistic. And it's also kind of brutally cynical. Uh, I think you could read the, the last shot of that movie either way. And I still haven't really made up my mind on on how that works out. But hell of a film. Definitely a, a five star for me. Yeah, man. Do you know our number one's number, number one. Number, number one. Well, because Matilda is not yet in the Criterion Collection, damn you. When will people respect Danny DeVito as a director? All right? Yeah. Get the off on the, the train is fine, all right? <laughs> Give him some credit, but I, the movie that I do have my number one is a funny movie as well. It is Stranger Than Paradise, Jim Jarmusch's 1984 debut, which in my review I basically went in depth about it being a film about nothing, though I'm sure some people will say, oh, it's not, but no, I think it's about nothing, <laughs> but that's what's so great about it. it. It made me think about that. I'm not sure where it comes from, but people always say like, direct like 90 percent of directing is casting and i feel like the reason i love this movie so much is i just love hanging out with the people in it and that's john lurie esther blunt and richard edson none of whom were actors they're all musicians basically i mean they've all acted since then richard edson was in like sonic youth before this for a brief period of time he was the drummer and john lurie is like a jazz musician and it's basically it's, it's crazy too because like the first like 15 20 minutes of the movie is like the original short film that was made it's that's just john lurie and then his hungarian cousin um ava she comes and they just hang out in new york but they do nothing they don't go they don't do any sightseeing they just sit in his apartment and she complains about how football is bad and boring and they come talk about tv dinners and then you got the whole rest of the movie which is basically them driving all around the east coast and they're visiting their hungarian cousin where she lives in like cleveland and there's just so many like quirky scenes that i'm not sure what they're getting at but i just enjoy it like there's one part where their cousin she like has this guy that wants to go out with her and like oh what are you guys gonna do we're "We're gonna go to a movie and so they all go and they all see some crappy kung fu movie and the two guys john lurie and rich edson sit between the couple so like they can't even hang out with each other because they're sitting between them eating popcorn loudly and they're basically the two guys are like the same character. They're just two like kind of dopes. They're kind of like um, they card sharks or like ga- like gamblers. That's how they get the money to they have to just survive. But they're just two like dopes that wear fedoras and just drive around and just I don't know talk about nothing. But it's I don't know. It's there's something so great about that. I just love. It's just like a good hangout movie, but it like looks really artsy too. It does this cool thing where. Every shot is always just one shot, usually like a wide, and then all the action happens in that one shot, and then it cuts, and that's just another one shot. There's, they don't, you know, it's always, one scene is always just one shot. 
And I thought that was so cool. I was like, that'd be so cool to make a film like that where like every scene is just one shot. So it's like, I don't know. It feels really like efficient in that way. Um, but experimental at the same time. No, I really loved it. Um, I'd see it again sometime. I forget. What did you think of the movie Diner? Diner is okay. I'm not a, I'm not a huge Diner fan. Hmm. I'm a big fan of real diners, though. But the movie was know. okay. Hmm. Yeah. Colin. Uh, it's kind of boring because last year my number one movie was a Yasujiro Ozu movie, and it is again this year. Uh, late spring. This movie, I think it was a couple of years before Tokyo Story. Uh,. I don't know. Had a lot of the same themes as Tokyo Story, which I feel like I talked about kind of in my review, where I was like, I don't know why I like this like just as much. It's really like covering a lot of the same grounds about like the you know differences between generations that were happening in Japan at the time. The idea of modernism versus tradition. The like static camera the the like conversations that feel like very intimate weirdly i guess because of just the way he kind of places his camera uh but also it felt like a little more complex uh than tokyo story just because like it's about this father-daughter relationship and the daughter actually has some ideas like about marriage that are a little bit more traditional than the the dads are and then they're ideas that the father has that are more traditional or modern and it's just like you kind of just get to see where these two people you know of very different ages are coming from and sort of like how they uh, regard marriage as an institution which is like a very good kind of way of gauging how people feel about you know these old fashioned sort of vices that keep society in order uh i don't know and it's also just kind of a really cool snapshot of i guess what japan was like that time which was still when it was under american occupation post world world war ii um because you see like these uh different touches that seem very american even though um i don't know i think these people are kind of trying to still sort of keep a hold of their their Japanese identity even though it's kind of a time in which that wasn't so easy anyways I guess I should probably watch more Ozu movies it's just they're kind of like slow and meditative but also really good so it's I don't know it's hard to get yourself to watch them guaranteed to be your number one if you watch yeah if I just wait another year to watch another one I don't know but yeah I, I really like the guy's style. Um, so we've been talking about like institutions a lot this podcast, <laughs> and uh, minor one also uh, hits on that theme. It's Anatomy of a Murder, um, a a movie that is pretty much entirely just about this one trial, uh, a murder case, um, where Jimmy Stewart uh, is is the uh, the attorney of uh, of, a, of a soldier accused of having shot a bartender, um, and it's it just it goes through his process, uh, you know, doing research, interviewing witnesses, 
um, and then all his his approach to the trial, um, which I just found really fascinating because it is it's it's in the fifties and it's not like sentimental at all about like you, you know I was expecting like some Mister Smith goes to Washington shit where you know it's like it's all about doing what's right and really they make it pretty clear that like this is not about doing what's right it's about winning the case and that's what um the other side which has george c scott uh is doing too and it's just whoever is better at the law will win um and they talk about things like like there's one part where jimmy stewart says something and george c scott objects and it's stricken from the record um and um the defendant whispers to Jimmy Stewart, "Well, how how can it be stricken from the record if the uh, jury heard what I what you said?" And Jimmy Stewart's like, uh, "They can't, <laughs> like they heard it." And and like it's yeah, it's just it's strategy, and you're just trying to win, and and that is our best guess at what justice looks like uh, in this country, and uh, so far no one's had a better idea, so. That's not great, but it's also like really fascinating to me, and it, it kind of works, and um, it's got a weird, lighthearted ending. But uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, this this like helped awaken in me the realization that I really like trial movies. Um, you know, I something like Twelve Angry Men is one of my favorite films, and and I even brought up Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, but that's a movie I actually do really love. Like the movies about the institutions that make America work actually working um, are delightful, but they're also, I'm starting to feel more and more like a fantasy. Um, anyway, that was my favorite movie. Also super cool uh, opening credits, as everyone knows already. And it was directed by Mr. Freeze. <laughs> Just looking at pictures of Otto Prebinger's Mr. Freeze. Okay, Sean, the original Batman television show had three different Mr. Freezes, okay? I want you to tell me which one looks the coolest? Here's Otto Prebinger as Mr. Freeze. Okay. He's bald. He has weird orange eyebrows. Orange eyebrows. And a ridiculous gun. George Sanders is a second Mr. Freeze. He Oof. is a guy in a spacesuit with a freezing gun. It's I don't pretty, like this one as much. It's not that great. It looks like a 50s sci-fi guy. It's not as good. Third, Eli Wallace was Mr. Freeze. Oh, seductive Mr. Freeze. Seductive Mr. Freeze. He's giving you that look. He's yeah. got crazy hair. He's smizing at me so hard. So people need to know. We need to finish this podcast with who was the definitive looking. Do Mr. they both Freeze. have three gems on their chest? I see three gems here. I see three gems there. George Sanders, no fucking yeah, gems George whatsoever. Sanders did not bring. He's it. not even like his skin looks fine. Yeah, get him. Here's out of some here. deviant artwork of the three of them <laughs> lined up. <laughs> so who who wins it? Uh, I'm gonna go with Eli Wallach. Yeah, he's super hot and he's down to clown. The definitive '60s Mr. Freeze. I think I like Otto Preminger. I like his he, eyebrows. I like his eyebrows. He looks like a like he'd be someone in like like a Willy Wonka movie, like a bad guy. <laughs> he's like trying to ruin the candy. Yeah, by making it cold or something. I'm not sure. More on that. More on that later. I had no idea that Mr. Freeze was ever in that show at all. Three times, they just couldn't get it down. I guess. <laughs> or maybe there's a specific reason. Oh my God, Eli has something called the Ice Periscope. It's a periscope <laughs> that says Ice Periscope on it. So you know, because it just looks like a periscope otherwise. 
Damn. This we gotta so, watch the Batman sixties show and so, then like review it. Does that you mean it's made of ice or is it just a regular periscope that's like frozen? I, I, it cold. looks like a regular periscope that has been frozen and that says ice periscope on it. <laughs> Really got to get into the show, guys. That show is really good about just writing the names of things on them. That's like most of the jokes, as far as I remember. Uh, anyway, so that is our summer wrap up. That's the that's all the fun we had on these hot hot days with the suffocating smoke. Um, so thank you uh, for listening to this, uh, and uh, also go to mildlyplease.com to, to read about stuff like the, all those Criterion reviews we did, um, and if you want to listen to more of the podcasts we do, search for Mildly Please on iTunes or whatever, and, uh, and all the ones we do will show up, including Rock Talk and just Rock Talk these days. We haven't done it of those in a while. Um, Go find the Stream Police archives, I guess. Um, yeah. That's all we have. So thank you for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. Nobody, nobody.